91.3 WLRN presents Topical Currents. This hour we continue our live call-in coverage of the aftermath of Hurricane Irma and the plight of South Floridians in recovery. Good afternoon, Joseph Cooper, Bonnie Berman. It's been five days since Irma made devastating landfall in the Florida Keys and pounded the three-county area. Areas are still without power and people are anxious about electrical restoration, food supplies, and water. We'll again visit with the Weather Channel Senior Hurricane Specialist, Brian Norcross, and also check in with WLRN, Miami Herald, Latin America, and Caribbean correspondent, Tim Padgett. And of course, we'll take your calls relating to recovery, 800-743-9576. Topical Currents, back in five, after NPR and Regional News. Joseph Cooper and Bonnie Berman back with today's Topical Currents. Seven minutes past one o'clock. Bonnie will be giving some more call-in help for uh, Hurricane Irma recovery uh, interests. And uh, we have a a lot of people to talk to today, including one of our favorite guests. One of our favorite guests, meteorologist and senior hurricane specialist at the Weather Channel, Brian Norcross, also the author of... On the 25th anniversary of Andrew, my hurricane, Andrew's story. Brian, we can't thank you enough for being with us again. Welcome. Uh, I'm happy to be here, Bonnie. A lot of our listeners have been commenting on it, saying it's so great to hear a familiar voice like yours. You know, these last few days, your presence has just been invaluable to all of us in the South Florida community, as you've witnessed and as you've heard them say to you. So we just want to say a big thank you to you for taking this time and for being with us. Oh, I'm more than happy to be uh, be with you, and you know, and you guys are just providing a, a tremendous service. I hear from all my friends in South Florida. I'm on my way there this afternoon, by the way, um, for the first time. Since, so you don't uh, know how your house did? Well, I know that it, I know that everything's uh, everything's fine, so I'm not too worried about it. But you know, the details count, so I'll see you this afternoon. Okay. Okay, so Brian, I get this. Of course, everybody knows Max Mayfield, and there's something called the Max Tracker. And I get that it alerts on my phone. And this morning at like 3 in the morning, I got a thing. Jose slowly moving across the Atlantic westward. So the last three days, I've asked you this, the first question, the same question. Do we have anything to worry about? Because those things make people nervous. Yeah, so definitely not in Florida. There's nothing to worry about. The, the storm is kind of drifting to the west, northwest. But uh, it's going to turn to the north. The the question for Jose really is the mid-Atlantic and northeast coast. Uh, It looks like it's going to come reasonably close. That doesn't mean it's going to make landfall and be anything more than a big wave maker at the coast and and so forth. But but, uh, it is unclear about exactly how... Uh, how the you know what the effect is going to be up there, but it, it's definite that the there will be no effect in Florida uh, from Jose. Well, maybe Bonnie won't be up at three a.m. now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's pretty typical, actually. All right. Well, let's give our number out if you want to speak to. We have lots of information for you, and Brian has lots of information for you. Our number is one eight hundred seven four three. 9576-1-800-743-WLRN. Our email is radio at WLRN.org, which might be a little quicker. And we're going to ask that you do have patience because there are 
a lot of questions and a lot of calls. Also, with uh, so many of our listeners having ties to the Caribbean, we're going to have our uh, WLRN uh, Miami Herald News South American and Caribbean correspondent Tim Paget joining us a little later in the program, and he'll give us updates on what's going on as far as restoration and recovery in the Caribbean. Right. So you want to go to our phone calls, and we'll take uh, Gary in Fort Lauderdale. Hi, Gary. Hey there. Brian, first of all, thank you for the tremendous job you do now and that you've always done, and thank you for uh, confirming that this Jose is not going to come here. That's a great relief to us all. Um, I've lived in South Florida since 1957 when we moved here from Ohio. I've been through a lot of hurricanes, and I just don't think I have it in me anymore to go through this. I think I'm going to have to find a new place to live. I just I just don't have the guts anymore for these things. But to all the people that have suffered damage and lost their homes and their livelihoods, and they want to rebuild and they want to stay, I just want to offer congratulations to them for being so strong. Mm. Gary, Gary, that's really, I, I certainly understand. And this one was really a monster. Brian, what do you say to that? I mean, it's certainly understandable wanting to not go through this. It is understandable, and I just so hope that as a result of this, uh, you know, what we do is we commit ourselves to building a city that's more resilient, both individually and sort of uh, en masse, that, you know, we, we, we can, because we should be able to deal with a storm like Irma. You know, we just should be able to do it. it it's not like uh, this exceeds the the uh, scope of, of engineering imagination, you know, but we, we need, uh, you, know, you know, we need two things. We need a commitment to, from, from our leaders and our government and our, that create the insurance system that we deal with. But also, uh, we've got to find a way to make it easier for individuals to take advantage of the capabilities that, that are, are, uh, are out there and, and uh, you know we have capabilities now, but they're they're kind of hidden. And and if you really research it and and work hard on it, you can make your post post hurricane life better. I, you know I posted on my Facebook page. If you go to Facebook and just put in Brian Norcross, you'll see a whole list of things you could do before the hurricane to make post hurricane life um, easier. But it certainly is not a comprehensive list. And Right, let me ask you this. So we, we need to expand on that, is the point. Brian, a week ago, we were sitting here watching a hurricane with a 185-mile-an-hour sustained wind heading right at us. There's no way we could have survived that. Mm-hmm. No, no, have, you're absolutely right about that. Right. 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 question that the Category 5 hurricane coming right at us is one thing, but this was a Category 1 hurricane yeah. you know, that was big and persistent. So big hurricanes just batter, batter, batter. Everybody I talked to that was in South Florida for this storm commented on the fact it just kept coming. It just kept blowing. It just kept happening. Right. And the longer it happens, the more it gets wrecked because, you know, if you wanted to kind of break in somewhere, you wouldn't just push on the door. You would shake it. So the longer you shake things, the more things fail. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the point is, though, that... that these are, are mostly soluble problems. If you, you know, if a tree falls on your house, there's not a whole lot you can do about it except to try and keep the tree trimmed. But, 
But in terms of the pain that people go through because they don't have power, um, there are things that, that can make that better that aren't terribly expensive, but they do require pre-thought and, and pre-organization. So we just need to work hard to be sure that that, that process is easier to uh, instill in, in uh, how we live in South Florida. I wonder if, considering that this hurricane uh, took in almost the entire Florida peninsula, if it will quell some of the population growth that still com- comes about 2 million people a year right. uh, when they saw just how difficult things can be. Probably yeah, I wonder, that, I I wonder that too, although you know, we certainly had uh, in 2004 and 2005 you know, a hurricane barrage, and that didn't seem to slow anything down. No. Uh, this, this is obviously the the despair is more widespread. So I think that uh, that will, you know, that will get more publicity. But you know what? When winter comes and uh, the pictures then show the palm trees swaying and the sun shining and the you know the beaches with people. It, it, uh, while it's while they're in attractive place <laughs> while they're in five feet of snow exactly yeah yes, right yeah. Okay. so that's not going away all right let me remind our listeners also that miami international and fort lauderdale hollywood international and palm beach international are all open however they're not operating at full capacity yet airport administrators say if you're hoping to fly in or out check with your carrier to make sure your ticket is confirmed and of course they always say arrive early and we'll go to our next caller we've got uh this is Lori in hollywood Lori, hi oh hey there thank you so much for taking my call thank you to all of you guys for the good work you do for the community oh hey oh, Lori. hey bud how are you how are you oh better days um looking towards the future <laughs> um there's no power and the power outage affects 2,308 customers, households. I was told that FDL has been aware of this since um, the 10th, and they created a ticket number 3239. The reason I'm phoning, I was only made aware of this yesterday. There's a downed live wire in the alley. I got the city to have public works cordon off the wire so no one would get hurt, but now for the problem. They keep sending trucks around, FPL trucks. Many people in the area have power, such as my next-door neighbor, the guys on the, across the street, on other streets, but 2,308 people don't have power or, or households because we were told the protocol is that FPL has to send out with their power trucks, their protocol, their rules, but they're breaking their rules by sending power trucks without Asplund. Without power, pa- power trucks without? A-S-P-L-U-N-D-H, Asplund. Those are the tree people. I see. The tree people have to trim, and the power people have to make sure that the live fire can be tended to before they restore the power. But they keep sending power trucks out that turn around because there's nothing they can do without the tree people. But they're not coordinating their own um, systems, their own operations, and they're wasting resources. And 
you know, we're we're wilting here. There's elderly people. There's animals. Well, let me just, let me just, uh, we can't talk about, you know, how they're coordinating it. I'm sure they're stretched very thin. But let me read this. Our WLRN reporter, Kate Stein, um, was in on an 1130 press conference with FP&L, and this is the report that followed. There's a hierarchy for what gets restored. They start with critical infrastructure like hospitals, fire stations. All 112 hospitals in their service area have been restored. Then they move to substations. All 263 substations are now backed up. The companies now on the part, it says, is the most difficult, going to individual neighborhoods and houses and trying to get them back online. More than 70% who lost power have had it restored. There are about 1.4 million people waiting. FPL says the restoration is on track. It says it's aiming to have power back everywhere in southeast Florida by Sunday and southwest Florida by September 22nd, although areas that suffered extremely heavy flooding, tornadoes, or other catastrophic damage may have to wait longer. That's what we know right now, Lori. Yes, and I had heard that when I heard the FPL woman speaking when I was, I evacuated to a friend's house and we were able to hear those reports. In fact, they've had FTL and other power trucks in the neighborhood for the last two days. What they're not doing is pairing them with the Asplund in our alley. I'm, I'm wondering if there's somebody or some way, is there a number where I can get to them and say, what about ticket 3239 to service 2,308 people by by taking care of the wire and the train? Well, the number we have for the down power lines is one 800 Four six eight eight two four three eight two four three, and that's the only number that I can give you. All right, thank you. I'm sorry. We ask just be patient, and we wish you the best. Really, thank you. Hope okay. you're all doing okay. Thank you. Okay, but no, I mean this is a this is a this version of a common problem in that it's not just the power company. In some cases, they have to have the people responsible for trimming the trees and taking the debris out of the way before they can get their trucks to to a pole or where, wherever the problem is. In other cases, there are other utilities involved that uh, wires are wrapped up together so uh, just so they don't end up sending electrical current down the cable line or something like that. You know, there has to be a coordination. So unfortunately, uh, sometimes it's not just uh, straightforward of of coming out and solving it, and if there are not not as many resources in the tree trimming uh, department as there are in the power restoration department, you know one can slow uh, the other, and it sounds like perhaps something like that has happened uh, in yeah. that neighborhood. Unfortunately, it is unfortunate, especially when you see that your next door neighbor has it. <laughs> Right, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, the more local the problem is, the longer it takes to repair. As, as you said, Bonnie, that's you know that's their strategy, which makes you know all kinds of sense. Put a get a substation back on. A substation serves many neighborhoods, and then go to the more local problems. So, if, if a tree happened to take out the feeder line to you know your block or or your set of blocks or heaven forbid your house, your individual house more local the outage, the longer it is likely to take to fix. I've talked to a few people who've had this glimmer of hope where the 
power seems to come back on. They hear their refrigerator compressor begin to start, and then after about 20 seconds, it just kind of goes bum, 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 down, and it's dead again, and that is really frustrating. Yeah, because that's, that's because, you know, what they try and do is they try and be sure that when they energize uh, a circuit, that the, the circuit is energizable, that it doesn't have some kind of short on it, it doesn't have, you know, some other problem uh, down the line besides the one that they have that they're, they're fixing. So once uh, maybe they energize the substation, but somewhere between the substation and your house, the lines are connected together or they're touching each other or there's some other issue, then, you know, they've energized it but then it fails uh, a different kind of way. So right. it can happen. It's, you know, it's unfortunately, it's the luck of the draw in these cases. But I remember that happening actually after Hurricane Andrew, having the power come back on, but having it then go off again as other uh, problems were, were found and uh, had to be fixed. Okay, let's move along to uh, another caller. We have Stephen in Homestead. Stephen, you're up. Hi. Hi, uh, thank you guys for what you do. Uh, we really appreciate the information down here in South Aid. Um, I just want to give a, a, a quick shout out to Representative Keone McGee, uh, Councilman, uh, Miami Dade Councilman uh, uh, Johnny Farias. Uh, they've been out with me in South Aid uh, helping to clean up uh, people's homes, uh, getting down uh, trees out of people's yards, uh, especially for those that have lost little loved ones in like recent few days. I also want to give a shout-out to Governor Scott um, and all the other elected officials like Carlos Corbello, Holly Rashine, and Senator Annie Terry Flores, Commissioner Cava. Uh, They've all been really helping to get South Aid back on its feet and to uh, getting uh, supplies down to the Keys and uh, throughout South Aid and uh, helping to get people's power restored. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for calling, Stephen. And we have an emailer, Greg has a question regarding boiled water alert. Is it safe to drink tap water after it goes through the filter, like in the refrigerator, specifically using the ice cubes? The answer, I can tell you, is no. No, that's correct. <laughs> it is not. And I want to read this to you. This is for you, Greg, and for all of you who are listening. Still under a boil water advisory, Davie, Dania Beach, west of Interstate I-95, Miramar, Pembroke Pines, West Park. The boil water advisory has been lifted in Hollywood, Pahokee, and Canal Park. What you do if you have electricity is you boil water for at least one minute before using it. If boiling is not possible, water can be disinfected by adding eight drops of plain, unscented bleach per gallon of water, letting it stand for 30 minutes before drinking. If the water remains cloudy after 30 minutes, repeat the procedure. Greg, no. It's not safe. Brian, anything to add? Yeah, so the filter in, in your refrigerator is not going to take out bacteria or anything that small. It's, it's more to take out minerals and, and, uh, and issues like that. So, no, you need, you need to kill what's in the water that might be harmful. Uh, you know, the good thing is, as we talked about yesterday, if, if you have water pressure, it's just a matter of time before the system clears itself. If your water pressure is still low, that's a sign that it's going to take longer because it means that the water inside the pipes is turbulent and the impurities that get kind of trapped in the pipes uh, gets, get, get put in the water 
and that's why you see the uh, the water get cloudy uh, due to the, the turbulence in the pipes. So, so that's what they're waiting for. There might, you know, if it's, if your water pressure is low, there's obviously a break somewhere, and that's got to be fixed to get the full pressure in the system. But generally, what happens is you see the pressure come up while the boil water order is still in effect, and then the uh, and then eventually it, it takes a day or two until they test it to be absolutely sure that uh, the water is uh, is clear, and then they, they take that off. So it yeah, just depends on, on what you have coming out of your tap. Uh, Brian, how long after, okay, the boil water li- has been lifted in Hollywood, for example, how long after it's lifted do you have to let water run for two hours or something, or is is there a prescribed time that you need to let your water run before it's safe to drink? Well, somebody might know if there is a specific recommended time. Uh, I mean, my advice has always been to let your water run for a while once the pressure comes back up. And sometimes you'll hear it gurgling and and making noises, uh, you know, until it you know gets all the air out of it and it gets stabilized. And, and just be sure you, you run it until it's clear. But the idea is that once you're tapping into the water that is in the water system and not the water... It's in the pipes of your home, then uh, you know if they've lifted the order, then that water is given to be safe to drink. Okay. We had a caller that uh, dropped off there. I, I can't think of her name now, but if, if you dropped off, if you were on the board, if you uh, talk to our telephone operator here, please call back, and I'll put you on as soon as possible. Uh, Ray in Miami, you're up. Hi, Ray. This is Ray in Miami. Am I on? Yes, you are, Ray. Okay, thank you. Uh, I I came to Miami Beach as a 13-year-old. <clears throat> Excuse me. In 1938, you can do the math. Uh, I've seen quite a few hurricanes here, and I don't want to see another one. Uh, I was fortunate, but I have a question that sounds crazy. And uh, is it okay, uh, Brian Orcross, who is my saint, um, <laughs> Is it, okay, is it overkill to have impact windows and storm shutters? If, if it's advisable, uh, I will get the money somehow. I won't rob the bank. So the answer is absolutely yes. And oh. here's why. It's not a matter of safety, really. The impact windows are as strong as the shutters. They're required to be, and they're required to be physically tested to be sure they're as strong as the shutters. Now, the the issue with impact windows is how well they're installed in the house, and right. the protocols now require very careful inspections to be sure that the contractors uh, are putting them in the house to, to make the whole installation super strong. But but here's the issue with impact windows, is, is the, the so-called glass, what we think of as being the glass, technically you call it the crystal, is, in the, uh, is, a, is a sandwich between two layers of glass and then this layer of kind of a plastic in between that's super strong and that's what gives the window its strength well if a roof tile or something comes flying along and hits that it's not coming into your house you're safe inside your house but likely both pieces of glass are going to break and the the interior plastic is what's going to keep the uh, the tile or the projectile from from actually opening and breaching uh, the window. Well, the problem then becomes that you have a broken window 
and uh, and the question is when is that going to be repaired? And as we're we're going to see after this hurricane with with hundreds of thousands of homes that need repair, the repair process is going to be painful. And so getting windows impact windows repaired after a hurricane, uh, we haven't really confronted this yet in uh, you know as uh, impact windows have become ubiquitous uh, and and you see them everywhere now. So it, it actually is harder to replace many impact windows than you don't just call up the window company and tell them to come out and replace your pane of glass like you used to. It's, it's, a, it's a process and a procedure, and, and sometimes you even have to take the whole window frame out of the building to do it. They've, they fix that in, in significant measure in some windows, but not all. So that's the thing that a shutter stops from happening. It, it is two layers of confidence, for sure, that, uh-huh. that projectiles aren't going to come into the house. But what it means is that the worst thing that happens is the shutters get dented, which is a whole different scale of repair than uh, repairing or replacing impact windows that have been broken. And, and I can foresee many, many months of people living in their homes that are otherwise in, in decent shape, well, with broken, maybe maybe even more than just months. Um, in, not in this hurricane, but I'm talking about in a hurricane that has a lot of wind and projectiles. Uh, I, I see broken glass in impact windows uh, just all over the place, and the, the industry just isn't, you know, it isn't sufficient to suddenly have all these customers that need product, not to mention the fact that all those windows got to be manufactured and and distributed, and, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a monstrous headache for the future. So for that reason, not for safety, but for that reason, uh, when shutters are possible, then uh, every impact window that's shuttered is much, much, much uh, less likely to be, you know, impacted by uh, projectiles and therefore broken uh, that has to require some kind of attention after the storm. Okay. Oh, we are God blessed with you. Believe me. Uh, if I'm still on, I want to thank you. Are you there, Topical Current? Yes, yeah, you're, you're there. Yes, right. I'm, I'm going to miss you. I love you guys. And Brian, like I say, you're my saint. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Right. And you thank you. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for your call. We'll resume our coverage and discussion of post-hurricane Irma issues. And after a short break, we'll be back with more. Thirty-three minutes past one o'clock. It is today's topical currents. Joseph Cooper and Bonnie Berman. Of course, we're talking about some important issues about our post-Irma recovery. But there's a little bit of an issue I'd like to talk about just for a minute, and that is, it's the birthday of my co-host, colleague, oh, and no. great friend Bonnie <laughs> wow. Berman today. Keeping that secret, Bonnie. Yes, I would have kept. Bonnie, that we secret. all love you, and happy birthday to you. Thank you, thank you, Joe. Okay. Thank you very much. And we have one other thing to talk about, which is that it's Thursday, which usually means right now it's food and dining. 
But Linda, unfortunately, is, well, we want to do this uh, uh, coverage post-Hurricane Irma, but Linda has been without power since Friday afternoon and remains without power. Uh, she's either in the Grove or in the Gables or in the border. Yeah, close to the Deering Estate. Of one, of one or the other. And so, Linda, we send our best wishes. She's fine. She's well. All is well. She's just stifling. And we'll see you next week. Or sweltering, I should say. That's a bit. And we'll see you next week for Food and Dining. And on with the phones, we have uh, Robert in North Miami Beach. Robert, hi. Hi, how are you? Thanks for uh, all your uh, information you're giving out. I was uh, having a little bit of power envy this morning where I, I noticed my, <laughs> my northern neighbors and my southern neighbors have power and my block doesn't. So I did report it to the uh, four outage because uh, they said when it starts getting localized uh, that maybe you should report it uh, just to keep them updated. But uh, then without power now for five days, uh, my cell phone that I had fully charged and my uh, USB backups kept me going through Monday. And then so Tuesday, I went out looking for uh, uh, power anywhere and uh, um, 160 Street uh, Mall didn't have it, but uh, the Walmart was running on generator powder and they had some outlet, uh, side outlets and uh, there was a line uh, uh, at each outlet of people trying to charge their phones. So I, I skipped over that and I, walking home, I uh, ran to a person who had a huge tree in their yard that was untouched. So I struck his conversation up with them saying how lucky he was that the, his tree didn't get affected at all. And that, uh, you know, I was just looking for power to charge my phone. And he said that his little block of like six houses, uh, his block, all had power and hadn't lost power, so he offered me an outside outlet so I could charge my uh, my phone and other devices. So I sat there for for two hours and powered everything up, and and then came home. And then this morning before sunrise, I went out to uh, or just at sunrise because I don't want to go out when it's dark since there are still some dark areas. Uh, and went to Walmart and uh, uh, plugged my uh, stuff into the wall and. Uh, bought a little extra a Weber strip, so because I was using the one plug, there'd be at least six outlets if anybody else came up and wanted to charge their phone. Robert, you're using up your power now. <laughs> <laughs> it's fading away as you speak. Sitting at home, being bored, listening to you guys. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks, thanks, Robert. Robert, so we're wouldn't glad. It be, you... Wouldn't it be wonderful, actually, if uh, the stores uh, that have power? Uh, and would set up outside a little kiosk kind of thing like you have at the airport where yeah. multiple uh, people could charge their phones at the same time. You know, I remember this after multiple hurricanes of the past that, that in neighborhoods they, they set up uh, charging stations. And it becomes ever more essential now because so many people are so dependent on their cell phones. You know, it used to be that we had a home phone that often would continue to work, right. even when the power was out that we don't uh, often have now. So anyway, that right. would be a wonderful thing. Any any big box stores that have power and are listening, you know, why don't you put some uh, power strips outside and let multiple people uh, charge the extent that you have enough power to let them do that? We're okay. trying to get our, our callers on the air as quickly as possible because, of course, many of them are using up their, uh, exactly. their cell phone right. power. We are, we are going to have a little map. Teresa Frontada, our digital er editor, compiled this map of supermarkets and home stores like Lowe's and Home Depots and Walmarts and pharmacies like CVS and Walgreens 
that are open. And we're going to have a link to that. Eventually, it's either going to be on the WLRN homepage um, or uh, on the Facebook page. So we'll determine where that is, and we will let you know where that is. And I'm sure some of them will have power that you can use and charge your phones. And we'll quickly turn to uh, Valerie in Miami. Valerie, hi. Hi. How are you? I want to thank you for all the years you put in helping us. It's been wonderful. And I still remember something you said when Andrew was sitting on our doorstep. You said, tomorrow morning when you wake up, nothing's going to look the same. And I, I think you were right. But uh, I remember that very well. Is, <laughs> the problem is here that uh, we're older people now, so I don't know if we can stay around for another one of those. But we really, uh, we're sorry we don't have a landline anymore because we've had a very hard time with the cell phone, uh, trying to get in touch with our relatives uh, here in Florida. We have a, a son up there in uh, Melbourne, and uh, then my brother is up near Crawfordville or in Crawfordville. And, you know, so we worry about them like they worry about us. And here we are sitting with a cell phone that says unavailable. Right. Yeah. And well, there's no question clear. that the, the, the cell phone companies are going to have a lot to answer for here because they promoted their networks as being hardened and uh, all the things they were going to do to be sure that cell service was a, an able replacement for landlines. And here we had a, in southeast Florida a Category 1 hurricane and, uh, you know, it's not working. It's no. just not up well, to the Well, that's the thing. You to, know, to the, the one promises. thing you do want to do is keep in touch. Right, And right. when now, you don't have that, you feel very, especially my husband and I are up there in years. I don't want to say how old, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and it is. Uh, he's had to get out there and put up shutters and everything and, uh, you know, worry at the same time that they're saying, oh, my, what's happening to my folks down there? So uh, that has exactly. Been... So, so we knew that was going to be an an issue uh, in a in a powerful hurricane when there was fear that that Irma was going to come in as a you know a category three or a category four or heaven forbid a category five. But I really did not expect, based on the assurances by the mobile phone providers, that a storm of the intensity that we had would take out so much of the mobile phone. Service. Uh, there's a map that, that came out with how much around the state, uh, how many any cell sites were down around the state, and it, it's an incredible number at a time when people need more phone service, uh, not less. I so, mean, to be to have no communication at a time like this is, I think, one of the hardest parts of this ordeal. You know, it really is. Uh, it's just they will you're right Brian they're going to have a lot to answer for it is topical currents Joseph Cooper Bonnie Berman and we have Brian Norcross meteorologist and hurricane specialist at the weather channel with us and joining us now is the America's editor from WLRN News Tim Paget. he joins us in the studio welcome Tim and thanks for joining us Wait one second. Thanks for having me. Okay. It's good to have you. Can you give us an update? I mean, we're really yeah. suffering in, in uh, 
South Florida, as you know, in ways that we can't imagine. They're suffering in places like Barbuda and St. Right. Martin's and yeah. the Virgin Islands. Can you tell us no, what's that's, happening? That's exactly right. I mean, we dodged one major bullet here in Florida. They did not, unfortunately, in the Caribbean, particularly out in the eastern fringe of the Caribbean, the Leeward Islands, those tiny islands like Barbuda that you just mentioned. They, they were the first to get hit by a storm that wasn't just Category 5, a record Category 5. They were the first people to feel the brunt of those 185-mile-per-hour winds. And Barbuda was the first to get hit, as I mentioned, and it's devastated. 99% of the buildings on that island are destroyed. Thankfully and miraculously, only one person died uh, in Barbuda. But as the storm moved uh, westward through that, you know, kind of like that bowling alley that hurricanes, you know, like to go down. Is Antigua and it, also? Antigua uh, and Barbuda, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a nation. Uh, the sister island of Antigua was to the south of Barbuda, so didn't get hit as badly. And that's where everybody has been evacuated to. I see. Uh, from Barbuda. And so when we look at the, you know, just that, that five days of devastation as it rolled through uh, that, that, that Caribbean basin, uh, it left the, the death toll we have at this time is 44 dead. And uh, I might remind, you know, Americans who tend to not pay attention to the Caribbean, I would remind them that eight of those dead are U.S. citizens uh, in the Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands, which got very badly hit. I mean, islands in the U.S. Virgin Islands like St. John and St. Thomas were devastated, uh, as, were, as was St. Martin, for example, out there. And uh, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, and Haiti fortunately did not get hit as badly. But then Luckily. we come to Cuba, which we did not think was going to get hit as directly as it did. And that's where the worst death toll was, 10 dead there, as well as just untold flooding and, and property damage. But luckily, but, Haiti didn't get hit very yes, hard. Thank no, it did not. It had a lot of flooding, as it did, really as did anyway. even yeah. more devastating there. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you consider that you know, hundreds died in Haiti last year uh, during Matthew, uh, fortunately, there was none of that kind of wreckage or carnage uh, this time around, but they, they did get some flooding. But Cuba did get hit very badly, and I think particularly in this community, that's, you know, we're going to have to keep a, a real sharp eye on, on how we can help Cuba. Uh, what about communications well, there? Communications in Cuba? Uh, I've been able to talk to people in Havana. Out in the provinces, however, it's another story. The thing about Cuba is that Havana always seems to do okay infrastructurally. It's the provinces that just are, are rickety. Uh, and that's one of the reasons you had such a high wreckage and death toll out in that northern coast of, of Cuba, those uh, provinces like Camagüey, where you know you have that, that island archipelago. The resorts, uh, cities out there like Caibarien were, were, were just destroyed. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that because of Cuba's threadbare economy, the infrastructure out there in the provinces is just totally threadbare itself and neglected. And uh, that's the first thing people told me when I started calling them in Havana over the weekend was that what they were seeing on the state-run TV there was just destroyed homes. And it just reminded them of how uh, subpar their housing quality is there. And on, on a good day without exactly. a hurricane. Brian, exactly. isn't that what happened when didn't Irma stall at the north of Cuba, which is why so many, I mean, it, it took a turn there by slowing down, didn't it? Well, yeah, it, it uh, leaned left. I mean, it was still well within the cone and the forecast errors on uh, Irma were well below average. Uh, it was a very, very well forecast hurricane, but by moving just uh, 50 miles or so to the left uh, it, of where we thought it actually was more likely to go, it did it, uh, and then moving very slowly as expected, but maybe even for a little longer than expected, 
along that central northern coast of Cuba. And in Havana, because the winds came from the north for so long, if you've been to Havana, you know, the Malacón app uh, opens to the north. So when the strong swells came crashing from the north, that's what caused the, the tremendous uh, flooding in Havana. And, Brian, and you know, to have, to have a death toll of 10 people in Cuba, that's a, that's a lot of people to lose in a hurricane because they yes. have an extremely robust uh, civil defense system right. there. And, and so uh, I have not heard you know, how those people died, where they were, and, and so forth, but, but uh, that's, that's a big number. Uh, for Cuba, because they they know where they're going to hide people to be safe, yeah. and and you know generally in just in that society they just go round them up and take them, and people understand that that's what they do, and it's part of the culture there much more than it is for us. And Brian, speaking meteorologically, did did the fact that Irma hit Cuba more directly than we thought it would did that help soften the blow a bit for the Keys then? I, I because it did come out of Cuba yeah. as a Category Three, did it not? Well, so yeah, the answer is yes. It it was part of it. What really softened the blow was that while it was in Cuba, you know, bad for the Cubans, but good for us, it did slow down. So it spent a little more time farther south. Well, when it deviated just that much farther south, it was late arriving to the Keys, essentially. And all the time that we were tracking it, we knew that there was this system in the Gulf of Mexico and a bunch of dry air that we thought would meet the hurricane somewhere between southwest Florida and Tampa Bay. So that's why the storm surge forecasts for Tampa Bay were never as high as they were for Naples. Well, it, because it delayed down there by Cuba, this, the dry air met the hurricane right before it got to the Keys. And as, so as bad as the Keys situation was, it could have been significantly worse if it had gotten there sooner because it would have been uh, I said uh, the other day on the air on on the Weather Channel that instead of being a full donut, the eye wall, it was more like a croissant. It was just <laughs> the top kind of half of the eye wall. So they got slammed by the front of the hurricane. But as soon as that went by, things were much much better because the backside just didn't have the uh, the winds with it anymore. They'd been dried out, and then that became the case uh, farther north. So as bad as all this was. In the Keys and on the West Coast, it would have been worse if the storm had not uh, deviated to the left, interacted with Cuba, but mostly slowed down enough to allow that dry air to filter in before it got to the U.S. There were a lot of floods in Cuba. What are the what's the forecast as far as precipitation in the next few days? Yeah, so I don't uh, I don't know about the Havana forecast. I mean, we're we're back to a summertime weather pattern in Florida in general. There are no major weather systems coming along, and Jose might actually uh, eventually drive a cold front down, which will be good for part of the state, but as you know, when a cold front comes and it's still summertime, that tends to enhance the rain a right. bit. But, but it, you know, the tropical weather for now is back to normal. Uh, there's There are a couple of systems way, way out in the Atlantic, one of which does have the potential to come across the Atlantic, so there's... Hmm. Well, you know, there's going to be more to watch. I mean, hurricane season is just into its second half. Well, to so answer, the, there's a lot to go here. To answer your question, Joe, from what I'm seeing uh, from tweets from my colleagues there in Cuba, the, the weather seems dry. 
right now, and it's giving which Cubans is what a they chance, need. which is what they need, and it's giving them a chance. But the damage was terrible, which is why, for the entire Caribbean basin, we're seeing a rather astronomical uh, damage estimate from the United Nations of $10 billion. That's a lot of money for a, a fairly sparsely populated region like the Caribbean. Well, that was going to be my question, Tim. How do they rebuild? How do they rebuild in these places that don't have the financial wherewithal, and include, including Cuba? It's going to... It's going to One of the businessmen were calling for a Marshall Plan for the Yeah, Caribbean. well, uh, Richard Branson, the billionaire, uh, who has an, uh, his own private island out in the British Virgin Islands called Necker Island, it was devastated itself. That's one of the reasons he's become sort of, you know, the, the front man, oh. uh, the celebrity front man for uh, the Caribbean recovery there. And it's it's going to take us and Europe, because a lot of those islands are European, British, French, Dutch territories, right. and, and, and there are territories as well. You're right. They don't have the wherewithal or, or the means to do it themselves, but we need to help them reconstruct because we economically here, particularly in Florida, depend on them a lot uh, ourselves for, you know, the tourism industry, exactly. how many of our cruise boats, our cruise ships, you know, go stay, there, go mm-hmm. there et cetera. So it, it's, we, we depend on them economically a lot more than we tend to think. And so it's, it really is going to take an effort on the part of us and Europe to get them back on their feet. Am I uh, remembering correctly that Jose was... Um, Stirring up something in the Leeward Islands? It was going to. In fact, when I talked to people out in Antigua and Barbuda last Tuesday, the first day of the hurricane, they were all, you know, just as they had been, you know, devastated by by Irma, they were thinking, now we've got to get girded Uh. for a, you know, a a, a repeat. You know, Jose, they thought was coming to them on Saturday. Fortunately, that did not happen. And it seems to be spinning out into the North Atlantic. Yeah, they it just missed the the islands just to the north. They were in the cone, but the the track was just sufficiently far off. Jose uh, was and it was a very small diameter storm, where Irma was a giant storm. It's growing in in size now, and it still remains to be seen um, how much it will affect the mid Atlantic and the northeast uh, of the U.S. Hopefully, it'll stay offshore and will be a very glancing issue there. But uh, anyway, all that is down the road. Uh, the weekend, not too many, too far in the future, but this weekend, you know, we'll be looking for that. Thank you, Tim Padgett, WLRN Miami Herald News, America's and Caribbean correspondent for that update. If you'd like to stay with us while we take a few calls, you can do that. Please okay. do. Thank you. Let's take uh, Evelyn in Hollywood. Evelyn, you're up. Hi. Hi. Um, first, before I get to my information, Brian, I want to thank you so much. Going back to Hurricane Andrew, I'll never forget. Uh, we evacuated from Daniel down to my brother's townhouse in Kendall because he had storm shutters on the front level. And I remember your Evelyn, you're a little bit muffled. Uh, can you speak a little louder and, and get get right to your question, please? Is that better? Yes. Yes, that's better. better. Well, thank you, Evelyn. I, I appreciate it very much, and Wait, I'm glad you made it through that. Said, you said... If you can, if there's a, uh, an open field nearby you, put your cars there. And we did, and we were the only ones that didn't get our cars smashed up. So thank you, thank you, thank you from all that time ago. Okay. Oh, well, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, and I tried to sell that idea before this hurricane, too, to encourage people to look carefully where they park their cars, not in low areas and not where something could fall on it and behind a building if possible. Exactly. We did the same this time, and uh, our cars were safe. So anyways, let me get to my information, because I know you have other callers. If you want to charge your cell phone, 
go to Aventura Mall. The traffic is not bad at all. Oh, great. Get in Aventura Mall. They have benches that have electrical outlets on the side or on the back. And anybody can go there and sit in the air conditioning and everything and charge your phone there. Oh, Evelyn, that is such great information. Thank you so much. And um, if you can find a parking place, right? Uh, They have so much parking. (laughs) Okay. All right. Evelyn, thank you very much. One other other information. Um, Water, ice, as as much as you want. The public at Westlake Commons, which is just east of Sheridan, on Sheridan, just east of US 1. Okay. Thank All you. Thanks for that info. And as I said earlier, our digital director, Teresa Frontado, compiled a map of things that were open in the way of supermarkets, home stores, the Walmarts, pharmacies, and we're not going to be able to have that link on our website. But if you email, hopefully you have internet to email Peter. P-E-T-E-R-J, the letter J, at WLRN.org. He will send you that link. Again, it's Peter, the letter J, at WLRN.org. He'll send you the link to what's open around South Florida in um, those areas. I don't have time to read all the schools that are involved. And if you do have access to the Internet, if you go on the WLRN website, uh, we've listed a, 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 a collaboration between Miami-Dade County Public Schools and the Feeding South Florida Food Bank. There's free food at about seven or eight different schools in both North and South Miami-Dade County. If you go on our website, you can see that. Uh, hope you can do that. We also want to say that MIA, Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood, and Palm Beach International Airports are all open. However, the airports are not operating at full capacity. So the airport administrators say if you're hoping to fly in or out, you should check with your carrier to make sure your ticket is confirmed. Commercial airline service has not resumed in the Florida Keys. Monroe County officials say the airports cannot begin service until power and water are restored, and it's too soon to book tickets. And uh, that information, again, from WRN news reporter Kate Stein. Also, we have some public transportation. Uh, Palm Beach County, Palm Tram has resumed normal service. Uh, Broward County buses in service on regular routes, but 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Miami-Dade County Metro Royal resumed, Metro Bus resumed, um, except for a few routes. Check on that. And in Monroe County, no public transit at this time. And we certainly want to thank Brian Norcross and Tim Padgett for joining us this afternoon. Brian, I'll say it again. You're, <laughs> you're, it seems like you're everybody's hero. So we thank you for being with us through Irma as well as Andrew. And we really can't thank you enough. All right. Thanks very much, and happy birthday, Bonnie. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, happy birthday. Okay. Thank you, Tim. And Tim Paget is our America's editor from WLRN News and does great work. He has the Latin American Report, I believe, every Tuesday at what time? Uh, three times a day. Three times a day. Okay. And... He'll keep you up to date on what's going on in the Caribbean, and we wish everybody well through this. Our lead producer, Richard Ive, technical direction from online content producer Jason Zabka. Polly Landis is associate producer. Additional support from Michael Stock and Peter Mertz. 
Bonnie and I return Monday with a program about the affordable housing crisis facing South Florida. Low and middle income people are hard pressed to find single family homes and it makes hiring teachers, medical personnel and law enforcement officers very difficult. Sorry to Vincent and Deborah and Nicole who are on the line. Uh, please save your cell phone power. Uh, we're really sorry we couldn't get to you. We, we did our the best. And Mary, Don, and A-O, a- oh, and Bobby. Sorry we didn't get to your emails. Joseph Cooper and Bonnie Berman. Stay tuned for Here and Now next from NPR News. And we hope your power is restored soon.